episode 21, Busting Loose Baseball. It's all about Juan Soto. It's the biggest story in D.C. It's the biggest story in baseball. And probably right now, this minute, the biggest story in sports. What do we know? What do we think? Plus, we'll be joined by Bitcheroli of The Athletic to give us the inside on the latest with the Nationals and the Young Phenom. It all gets started right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Danny Ruye, Darius Dameron, no GP. He's actually at the All-Star Game where everybody's talking about Juan Soto. It's episode 21 here of Bustin' Loose Baseball. Thank you so much for checking us out. Please continue to support the show. Tweet me at Funny Danny, Grant at Grant H. Paulson. Let us know what you want to hear about. This week, you don't get a choice. It's Juan Soto discussion. It's taken over all things in sports. But if you guys get a chance, rate, review, subscribe, spread the word, wherever you get your podcasts, Bust and Lose Baseball, it is easy to find us on Spotify, Apple Pods, Odyssey app, all of those great places. So we appreciate all the listeners and everybody that's helping us keep this little train on the tracks. All right, let's go through real quick what we know. You're going to hear from Darius here in a moment. But what we know right now is we've got a couple of reports. This isn't just one where we heard the Nationals gave an offer that was then denied. I mean, you, you go through kind of the cycle. We've got multiple reports now from multiple outlets. Everyone from Britt Chiroli, who will join us in a little bit. John Heyman, Ken Rosenthal. You've got bombshell report after report that basically say the Nationals offered Juan Soto something to the tune of 15 years, $440 million for his services to uh, uh, to remain here in Washington, presumably for the duration of his career. He turned that down, and upon turning that down, that led the Nationals to say, we are now open for business on the Juan Soto front. And uh, it seemed pretty definitive that he will be traded at some point, whether it happens this year, whether it happens next year, it's kind of, you know, that's kind of what we don't know. And we'll discuss some of the options and potential destinations and, and, and what it might take and what it might look like. But that's the reality right here. Okay. It looks as if, I don't want to say it's a done deal that Juan Soto is out of here. It doesn't, it's not necessarily written in stone. But what we're seeing is basically a, from a Nationals perspective, they've gone as far as they could with an offer. It's up almost $100 million from the last reported offer, uh, which wasn't too long ago, at $350 million. It now stands at 440 which is, by the way, not a bad offer. This is not a bad contract offer. I will also say that if I was Juan Soto or his representation, I would not have signed that deal, right? Because 15 years, $440 million, and I understand we're, we're, we're just regular peasants out here talking about that amount of money, and it's staggering, and you could just say, he turned down $440 million. Well, the average value of that contract, the, the AAV, as uh, we always talk about, that would put him 20th in baseball. If you do some simple back-of-the-napkin math, if he got $30 million a year for 15 years, that's 450 This is for less than that, right? If he had gotten... This four hundred forty million dollars over twelve years, thirteen years, with, with some you know some things mixed in. I think he would have been closer. But fifteen years at four hundred forty million dollars doesn't put him in the top twenty in terms of average value of a contract. It would be a record-setting big number, right? Overall value of the deal, but it is trumped by a number of guys uh, who have signed for either shorter term or for more uh, on an average annual basis. That's not something that I would do if I was Juan Soto in this unique position. So. You look at it from a couple different perspectives, right? And what we'll try to do here before we sort of share opinion is kind of give you the case for all the sides here, the case for everybody that's involved. From the Nationals' perspective, and John Heyman reported this, um, Odyssey Sports Insider, I believe he's a columnist now for the New York Post, that one of the reasons that Soto's side turned this deal down was because it was backloaded. Not the dreaded word deferred, as we've come to know and accept from the learners for so many years. But again, not as much money up front, backloaded, uh, where the salary would increase, you know, sort of dramatically as the career project, uh, you know, move forward with, with Soto. And again, I think that's a reflection of where the learners are. I really do. I think at the core of this is a lack of cash, a lack of operating money, a lack of wiggle room due to a million things, pandemic, uh, the, the injury of their businesses, but also 
Most importantly is their crappy television deal, which we've talked about a million and one times. And, and to me, it is a large, huge, mega overarching factor that I think I previously underestimated. And I'm kind of trying to fix that now. I'm trying to correct it. So from the Nationals' perspective, there's not a lot of great precedent here for a player to sign that kind of mega deal for a mid-to-major market team. The Nationals are not the Dodgers, not the Yankees. Only a couple teams are. And you're talking about them kind of a little bit above a St. Louis, a little bit above um, a couple other mid-sized baseball markets. They're like mid-sized plus. When they've been competitive, they've been a top 10 payroll uh, most years. Now, that doesn't translate into off-field spending, and that's kind of something that's been discussed here. This Juan Soto uh, story pushed this to the back burner, but they have not invested in all the latest technology uh, over the last several years, all the latest data and analytics and implementation to develop prospects. We've talked about that in the wake uh, of the draft, which uh, the first couple of rounds last night, we'll get to the Nationals' picks later on this week. But they haven't had a lot of success come up from their farm system and really help the Major League Ball Club. There are phenoms, the Juan Sotos of the world, the Bryce Harpers of the world, of course. But your rank and file, the guys like Carter Keboom that need to be everyday Major League players, quite simply have not been. The Victor Robleses have not really helped you. The best it's been for a guy they've drafted in the last decade has really been Eric Fetty. That's not good enough. So in terms of you know overall payroll spending, the, the learners and the Nationals have kind of been competitive right there in that second tier, right where you could spend, but it's still kind of a budget, right? You're going to the to the nice to the to the really expensive car lot, but you're not getting the one with all the trimmings, right? That's kind of how they've been, and they have a World Series and basically ten years of real excellent winning to show for it. There has to be a walkaway point. If you're if you're the learners and if you're the nationals, okay, there simply has to be a place where you go. This is now prohibitive of us to build a competitive team like we just were for the last decade. That included Juan Soto. There isn't a lot of precedent for teams to spend a huge, enormous amount of money on one player and then have a lot of success afterwards. Even major market teams like the Los Angeles Angels, they have star shopped. They've got three of the biggest stars in the sport. Now, Rendon, of course, has been a big disappointment since he's been there, but at the time, no one's stock was higher. This is World Series hero, Anthony Rendon, to go with the best player on the planet, Mike Trout, and then the phenom, Shohei Otani. They're just doing another middling season, and they'll have another middling season thereafter. They haven't been able to figure it out. That doesn't mean you can't figure it out. It doesn't mean it could never happen, but it's we don't have a lot of precedent for success. The closest the Nationals approximate kind of the way their building philosophy is, is probably to the Cardinals, to be honest with you. Look at how the Cardinals operate. They go get some big fish. Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, whom they won bidding for uh, the first time. You know, Albert Pujols came up with them. But it's mainly about really shrewd reclamation projects um, where they find guys that other teams cast off and figure out a way to, to make them good again, especially on the pitching side. You draft really well. You develop really well. You integrate them into your system. And the Cardinals don't really have down years. The Cardinals are, you know, it's bad for them when they win 80 games. That's kind of uh, been their norm over the last 10, 12, 13 years, right? As they've as they've sort of built these really competitive teams year in and year out, things break right for them. They can be really good. The Nationals have sort of adopted a similar model, even as they bottom out uh, this particular season. So for the Nats' perspective, at some point you've got to say, we love this guy. He's great. Nobody's saying he's not. But what's the walkaway price? Is it $550 million? Is it $600 million? Is Are you going to be able to build the team that way? And then how does the sale affect all of this? So from the Nats' perspective, they offered a competitive, good deal at this point, right? And again, I don't know that they ex- expected Juan Soto to sign it, but it was a good faith effort. It's better than some of the things that they did uh, when it came to Anthony Rendon right at the end when there was sort of no way uh, they're going to be able to sign him and included deferred money or, or some of the other contracts. This was a legitimate offer, and I think they, I don't want to say they need to be applauded for that, but sometimes it ain't up to you. Now let me add the perspective in the middle before I get to Juan Soto's perspective. Now I'm going to be the fan. If this was what's happening with the Yankees, where they might lose Aaron Judge, that's a bummer if you're a Yankee fan, you might lose Aaron Judge. Oh, I really like him. He's really good. He blossomed here. He's a star. You're not going to kill the Yankees for that, probably. Maybe Actually, maybe like Billy from the Bronx might kill him. But for the most part, you're going, yeah, all we do is win all the time. We'll buy another one. We'll, we'll go get somebody else that'll be really good. Maybe we'll, we'll spend another $500 million bucks on a pitcher. Whatever. It's okay. They don't have the history the Nationals have. For the Nationals, you didn't pay this guy so you could pay that guy. You didn't pay that guy so you could pay that guy. And on down the list. And it was all sort of boiling down to Soto. Well, 
what you didn't count on was this guy being a generational exploding talent. Like he's in the same conversation as guys like Ted Williams and some of the elite hitters that have ever played this game before age 24. If he doesn't want to just re-sign with you just because, where are you? You lose the chance. He, and he's playing within his rights. Juan Soto has every right to turn things down, right? Juan Soto has every right to hire Scott Boris. And if you hire Scott Boris, it means you probably want to go to free agency and, and win uh, and have a bidding war for you, right? And and get that record average annual value, that record total number of dollars, that unprecedented contract that you know changes the game. You should want that, or you could want that. You could also want to be Ronald Acuna and sign for a fifth of what you could have gotten on the open market three years too early. It's up to you. It's up to the player. But the Nationals have this context. They didn't pay Harper so they could pay Turner. They didn't pay Turner so they or didn't so they could pay Rendon. Didn't pay Rendon so they could pay Turner. Didn't pay Turner so they could play Soto. For fans, it's hard. For fans, they have that baggage. Now, you got a World Series and a parade and some really, really good teams to show for it. And to the Nationals' credit, some of the guys they've offered money to and didn't end up paying turned out really, really well for them. Ian Desmond. Jordan Zimmerman, Rendon to a degree. They basically paid two people. Ryan Zimmerman once. I'm talking about internally, not free agents. They paid Ryan Zimmerman once, and they paid Steven Strasburg two times. Both of those signings, I'll be honest with you, as much as I love Zim and he's a hero and he's one of my favorite people, that didn't end up working out great for them because he was injured, the, the, the arc of his career changed, and you know the deal with Steven Strasburg. So I understand the baggage. I understand the, the the 360 panoramic here, right? Now let's get to Soto. His perspective is, I have an opportunity here. I know how good I am. I know how good I'm going to be. It's very reasonable to bet on himself. It makes a lot of sense to me for a player that's that has this aptitude, that's this smart, this good, at this age, to go do something unprecedented. Somebody's going to give him a deal that blows this one, the Nationals offered him, out of the water. It's going to happen at some point. You would think it's one of these super rich teams that's got cash to burn, their own TV network, and and everything else, and that's a limited handful of guys. But from his perspective, I would not have signed that deal that the Nationals offered me. Again, especially if you believe the John Heyman report, I got no reason to doubt it, that it was very backloaded. Okay, So that's where we are at this point. And emotionally, because of the, 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 the thing that we, we just talked about a moment ago, when it comes to what we've been through as Nationals fans, as people that follow this team, it's another guy that they're not going to pay. Another dude that you've watched come up through the organization, that you've watched excel, that you've watched achieve here for you, win a ton of games, do special things, leave. That sucks. That's not fun. I get it. I totally understand the frustration there. This is one of those times... And that Darius, I'm going to tag you in here. I don't know if there's a villain, and we don't do that very well in sports, right? It's very easy. What I, and I know I'm guilty of this. I like to find someone to blame, and I and I hold on like a dog to a mailman's butt. I won't let. I just say that's that's it's that fault. Even if there's nuance, even if there's complications, I can't get over stuff. I think in this case, there may not actually be a villain. While there may not be a villain, it, it, it's the as you brought up. It's the constant, well, we'll do it for this guy. We'll do it for the next guy. We'll do it for the next guy. So that's where I think, in a fan's perspective, the villain is going to end up being management and, and and the front office because they keep giving us these empty promises of, well, we'll resign the next guy. We know we didn't resign Harper. We'll, we'll get Rendon. We know we didn't resign Rendon, but we'll get Soto. When does it stop is, is I think, what's going to be the ultimate selling point for who the actual villain is. And I think in this case, fans are going to put the front office as the blame of the villain for this. And I think you're right. And I, I and I mean that. I think you're correct. Ultimately, I don't know how much of a, of a decision it is for, for Rizzo and company. I mean, we, we've heard anecdotes. We've heard stories where Rizzo wanted like a million bucks. Not personally. like I'd, I'd like to have a million bucks too. But wanted a million <laughs> bucks in budget to go sign a player for a team that had a chance to win the division. And the ownership said no. And I think they've at times you, you heard these little leaks or these stories of, about how, hey, we'd like 50 grand to hire a part-time coach to go work with infielders. And they said no. We, you know, you, you sort of hear about some of these things. What they uh the managerial search where they offered Bud Black a fraction of what uh the open market would dictate for for a manager. You've heard some of those things. So I don't know how constricted or how free to operate 
um, uh, Rizzo and company are. If the budget's unlimited, uh, more of these guys would be signed. I really believe that, right? So I, I, I put this at the ownership level, but I, but I think your point stands, Darius. People are going to say, well, I, well, let me let me let me try that again. I think people are going to say this one. Okay, I understand this. I understand that 500, 550 million, whatever it is going to end up being, is probably too much to build a competitive team. I'm not judging you on this one. I'm judging you on all of them, exactly. and I think that's fair. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and <laughs> it, it, I just wish, I just wish we were at the point where we could, at at some point, trust this organization. Because now, if we get to this point where we let Juan Soto walk, then it's the, the, the next player could be you know who we just drafted last night. Cool. Well, he'll come up in two years. We'll get six years of enjoyment out of him, and then boom, he walks again. You know, it. it I just want to know when the cycle ends. When do we? score one where we can call that guy our guy and it actually works out because obviously like you brought up you brought up the Zimmerman you brought up uh, uh you brought up Strasburg sure those things worked out in the sense of both those guys were involved in our World Series team mm-hmm. but guys like Bryce Harper guys like Juan Soto guys like Trey Turner are really really unbelievable talents at each of their positions and and for us to be able to lock that guy in for a long term, I, I just feel like this fan base needs a win, especially because this fan base is still growing. It's still developing. Yes. This team is only, uh, what, not even 20 years old yet. It, it's it's time for our franchise to get a win. And I think signing Juan Soto to a long-term extension would have been that win that we need. And it's not too late. We, we, we're, we're talking in a, in a doom and gloom scenario right now. It might not be too late. There might still be time. There might still be an offer out there that's that, that's potential for Juan to not go hit free agency or be traded before so. I think but, that's fair. Yeah. No, I think that's part of it. And I think you said it very well, Darius, in the sense that it if and again if if they re-sign Anthony Rendon and he was having this if he if he did hear what he's doing in Anaheim, people would be pissed. It would be terrible. Like yes. that, 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 and you would be pro- appropriately judged for that. Um, I mean, I think of the contrast. I know this is a Nationals podcast, but think about what's happened uh, with the Wizards, right? The Wizards have have absolutely committed huge money multiple times to guards that have broken down. Yeah, Gilbert Arenas post-knee surgery. Uh, John Wall, huge max extension. Now Bradley Beal, huge max, max, max extension. And everyone's kind of going, ugh, okay. <laughs> now, I'm not saying they're, it's completely analogous. Those are obviously different sports. But... it's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of things. Like, if they'd won the bidding for Ian Desmond and Desmond had the same career arc, that would be bad. Jordan Zimmerman basically broke down a year and a half later after he signed with the Detroit Tigers. It's one of those, thank God, that they didn't end up re-signing some of these guys. I mean, you see what happened. They signed Steven Strasburg, and, you know, we're kind of going, yeah, we won a World Series, and I've got a lot of euphoria, but it seems weird to sign this guy to a huge deal with all the injury problems. Yeah, but whatever, World Series. Well, that's not a great signing. That's going to go down as a disaster. And what you're hearing now, by the way, is someone might have to take on that contract if they want Juan Soto or or Patrick Corbin's a couple years left of a deal to give this team some cash relief. There's a lot of possibilities. You can undo some of your uh, your clogged toilet, Ernie Grunfeld style. Second Wizards reference here. <laughs> but, I, I mean, this is... I really believe this is about the context. I really believe this is about all the other ones. And this is just the latest, to your point. They're at a crossroads right now, this organization. I I really believe that. I think this month is going to be one of those times where we put a pin in it in uh, in this calendar month and remember where we went. I think a a previous one, say, was 2018 when it was going to be, what are we going to be? What are we going to do? We didn't. They didn't remember, if you remember that 2018 season, they underachieved in a major way, couldn't get right, had some really good players. They didn't add at the deadline because they didn't buy into what the team was, and they didn't sell at the deadline. They just kind of existed. And then after the, that cup, disastrous Cub series where people like broke a coffee pot or whatever it was, then you know, Rizzo and company were finally allowed to, to sell for spare parts, and they got a fraction of what they would have gotten earlier. And then it was, do we keep Bryce Harper, do we not? Keep Bryce Harper, do we not? And once they didn't, it became... Are we a feeder system now? Are we the Kansas City Royals? Are we the Oakland A's? Are we operating on the cheap? And I know they're not exactly that, but right now, this minute, they're closer to that than they are the Dodgers. They're closer to that than they are the Yankees or the Cardinals or the Mets or even the Phillies. The Phillies cannot stop being 500, but they also can't stop adding players. You know, this offseason, with a good offense, they went 
No, we're going to go Schwarber, Castellanos. We're going we're going to go hit. Thank you very much. We'll score ten runs a game. Maybe maybe we cannot run the bullpen that way. Teams in this division are not stopping. The Braves are stocked and set up. The Mets have monopoly money. The Phillies are going to be competitive. The Marlins are a couple pieces away from being really, really good. This is no longer a cakewalk. This is no longer you're the class act. Everybody else figured it out in your division. It's not quite the AL East where everybody's nasty, but this is no longer just kind of, eh, we'll, we'll beat the Marlins 16 times a year and win 92 games just because just we get out of bed. This is a crossroads moment for this organization. And I don't blame them on this one specifically, which might be a hot take, for not being able to re-sign Juan Soto. This is really hard to re-sign Juan Soto. Yeah. You could give him the greatest offer ever, and Scott Boris and company may just go, that's now our leverage, our, our marketing position for a couple of years. Right? I, I've always believed that. So it's it, you're, they're sort of a victim of their own success on the field, but also a victim of their own failure here to re-sign some of those guys like you're talking about. And on top of that, <laughs> there's ownership peril. Uh, this couldn't be a worse time for there to be ownership peril and 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 uncertainty as to who's going to be the owner of this team beyond 2022 as well as our, our our coaching staff and our our general manager they've only been extended for one additional year uh after player options uh, excuse me after uh options were extended I, I there's so much peril and 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 uncertainty uh, uncertainty I, I just don't I just don't know how this could have been a worse time. And thank for you for Juan bringing Soto me to that. To that was that, that was going to be my second point that I never got to because I meander and, and I talk too much. <laughs> um, but it's it this month. To your point, it, it we're talking new ownership. We're talking you know our or guys like Rizzo and Davey Martinez who've been part of the furniture here. Rizzo especially is this now kind of a temporary arrangement where you're going to end up with a brand new voice running this thing uh, in, in a couple of seasons? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know who the new owner is going to be. But it seems like this process is moving pretty quickly, but this is billions of dollars changing hands, so that just doesn't happen fast. That's glacial pace at best. I think the the sort of the, the tentative date we had in pencil was owners' meetings in November. I think that's lofty, but who knows if it's doable or not. I mean, that's above my pay grade. But you're right, the level of uncertainty. I, I don't know that a new owner I, – I have to imagine if you're the learners and you're entertaining sale – you're not going to simply say, oh, by the way, as you guys are looking at our books and we bought the team, we committed to this guy for $500 bucks. Yeah, you'll enjoy him. Have fun. <laughs> a new owner is going to want to be on board with that at least to a degree. Absolutely. So you think there's some kind of buy-in uh, when it comes to that, even if this process hasn't been formalized yet. But there's a number of teams, as you kind of look, that could do this. And when I say this, I mean a Juan Soto trade. Now, again, I don't know if it means this deadline this year. I don't know if it's a multi-team situation. I don't know how you get the appropriate haul. The most, uh, probably the best comp would be Miguel Cabrera years ago when he was in Miami. Already had a World Series to his credit. Uh, already one of the best hitters in baseball. Was an absolute star. I think coming off a 320 and 34 homer season. Sound familiar? Uh, for a, a pretty good Marlins team. The Marlins realized as they were in absolute chaos, couldn't get a stadium, couldn't get anything going for themselves after they won that World Series, pretty much knew they had to sell him. And they traded him to Detroit for a haul of prospects. That really was not that great, to be honest with you. <laughs> so it's one of those things where you go, it sounds good in theory. You take, I don't know for the sake of argument, the, the top two giant prospects, um, you know, two major league quality players that are you know still young and under team control. Maybe that you give them a bad contract, et cetera. And it may not work. It may not be add up to, to the war that Juan Soto produces. But this is an organization that right now needs a lot of help. Not just at the minor league level, which we've gone on quite a bit about, uh, you know, sort of throughout doing this podcast and on the Grant and Danny show on 1067 The Fan, but they need help at the big league level. They got holes everywhere. They need to upgrade right now, this minute, probably six or seven or eight frontline spots. They're going to need an everyday third baseman. At some point, you're going to need, I think, an everyday shortstop as Luis Garcia is probably going to play second. I'm still just calling that. So I think you're good at catcher. You're good at second base. Now you add Juan Soto's departure into the mix. That's all three outfield spots. You probably need a first baseman after Josh Bell You know, probably should be traded here uh, within the next few weeks. You've got Josiah Gray. See how I pause there? Because there's nothing else. <laughs> you hope, Cade Cavalli, you hope. But still, I don't know how many frontline starters you have. I don't know how many game changers you have. You need eight, nine, I mean, like serious top-level guys. Think about that World Series lineup. 
Think about how good one through nine that World Series lineup was. Think about three starting pitchers, all world caliber, right? Think about a couple of bullpen arms that were outstanding, right? Sean Doolittle, when he was right in his prime, was straight nasty. Daniel Hudson was the guy they finally were able to identify and find, but you know, it, it's it takes an awful lot to have a real, honest to goodness winning program, and they're all, they're light years away from that, as evidenced by their first half where they went thirty one and sixty three. They're not close. Juan Soto was one of the best players in the world, and his July he was absolutely on fire. This July he killed it. He was great, and the Nationals were terrible in the month of July. The Nationals had a losing record in the month of July with Juan Soto as the best player on a bad team. You see the theme here? 2-14 and 14 in the month of July with Juan Soto tearing the cover on the, off the ball, having a career-long on-base streak. I think hitting in, what was it, 16 out of 17 games? Mm-hmm. I, may have had, I may have that number wrong, Darius. But scalding hot, killing the ball, got his average up 40 points, added you know six or seven or eight home runs here this month to his total to finish the first half with 20. The Nats are 2-14. and 14. One great player doesn't do it. One transcendent player doesn't do it. You need a haul. You've got success stories. Think of the NFL with the Herschel Walker trade uh, from, from the Dallas Cowboys that set up their little dynasty. You've also got failures. The Marlins trading away Miguel Cabrera for a couple ham sandwiches and a high five. This is a really, really tenuous tightrope to walk here. But they've got to do it. They've got to figure something out. And I, 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 I'm with you, Darius, in the sense that I don't think the door is totally closed, but that report came out for a reason. Yeah, you know, multiple people had that for a reason. Whether that's the agent side benefiting from it, just to say, "Hey, here's the marketplace. Get your offers ready." Whether it's the team side trying to, you know, cushion the blow, saying, "We offer 440 million bucks." That's not nothing. To, that's nothing to sneeze at here. Nobody's ever been offered that before. He walked away. What can we do? I, I don't know exactly where it came from. I don't know who benefits more. Something has to be done. It either needs to be a franchise-altering haul or the return of a franchise-altering player. Uh, now, let me ask you here. I'm sure we'll talk to Bridge Roley about this here in a few minutes. But what do you think is the one key thing about this contract offer that Juan Soto turned it down? Is is it the is it the 29.3 average? Is it the uh, is it the amount of years, or is it the front office uncertainty, or is it the Scott Boris is trying to get his guy to free agency. There, there's so many different factors. Do you think there's one particular factor that you can key in on? I, it's a great question. I think I think it's a big, delicious pie, and I would love some pie. If anybody has pie, I would love to eat it right now. But if we're if we're putting slices out of the pie, I think a huge what slice. What kind of pie, by the way? This is a soto pie. Uh, and it's got a great eye. Oh, it rhymed. That was terrible. I apologize <laughs> to everybody for listening. Who heard that? Um. No, so I, I think a huge part of it is if if you are in, if you hire Scott Boris to be your agent, that's his typical path. That means that's probably what you want. Other guys who don't hire Scott Boris may not want that sort of path, right? Where you go to free agency, he runs the Boris playbook, he puts together you know massive spreadsheets and binders of information, sends them to teams, they send them offers. He says thank you, doesn't respond, then they just up their offer because they're terrified of losing him, doesn't communicate. If you want the Boris playbook, you hire Scott Boris. Nothing, there's no crime in that, by the way. Players should want to get the most they can. So that's what Juan Soto did. I think that's a huge chunk of it. I think a huge chunk, again, I'm calling it the Hamlin Report, is the backloaded nature of the contract. I think that's something, right? I also think that ultimately it comes down to that AAV. Yeah. Now, I don't think anybody can do 14, 15 years at Max Scherzer's short-term AAV of, of, of you know mid $40 million. I don't think that's realistic at this point. But again, if you're 32, 33, 34 million dollars times 15, think about how that adds up. That's that's now you get north of 500 million. It's it's that simple. All it takes is a little tiny bit. So maybe there was a year or two extra on there. I think of what the Phillies did uh, with with Bryce Harper, where they added the no trade clause, added a couple years to the deal so that they were sort of more in control and they could spread out the money, uh, make it easier on their payroll. And Harper claimed that's what he wanted, even though it wasn't. He just wanted to make sure he was the highest-paid guy. And then, of course, he got superseded by Mike Trout in your face. But anyway, I, I think the AAV is the biggest to me. And again, yeah. that's based on no evidence. That's just my gut. It's hard to say, hey, this is a once-in-a-generation thing. You're now behind, I don't know, 20 guys, and you're better than 18 of them, right? Like, unequivocally. I think that's probably a huge deal. Um, I, by the way, I looked up that Miguel Cabrera trade. So it happened in 2007. Looks yep. like it happened uh, in December of 2007. Mm-hmm. 
So Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell Willis went to the Tigers in exchange for Cameron Maben, Andrew Miller, uh, Frankie De La Cruz, Mike Rabello, Burke Badenhop, and Dallas Trahern. Yikes. That is yikes. a yikes.net. <laughs> Now, a couple. Listen, Maven was a was a was the top prospect sure. for years. He was he was the guy that was next for like half a decade, and then he just became a role player. I mean, Andrew Miller was was a nasty pitcher, had mm-hmm. some great moments, but th- for Miguel Cabrera, oh, come on. Man. All right, so we've done our best to kind of give you guys a primer on this. Britt Giroli is an expert. She writes for the Athletic. Did a great story about kind of how inevitable this all is. Listen to our conversation with her next. Bang, zoom. From The Athletic, our friend Britt Giroli wrote a great piece about how inevitable this Juan Soto trade may be. Britt, good afternoon. Thanks for the time. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. So uh, let's get to this here. Uh, how inevitable is this? Is, is this one of those things, and, and I'd love for you to, to, to kind of to, to weigh in on, on my view of it. I got the sense the Nationals basically said, this is as far as we can go, so what's the next best option? And it's to kind of go down this road. How inevitable is a trade of Juan Soto? It seems inevitable. And, you know, I wrote this column, as as you mentioned, for The Athletics, saying exactly that. And, you know, people have been like, well, how can you say that? Well, first off, I hope I'm wrong. But in talking to people over the last couple days and just in kind of reading the tea leaves here, you're right. They have made three formal offers now. And I think like, the devil is in the details. You know, Scott Boris, Juan Soto's agent, did not – counter. This isn't a situation where the sides feel like they're close. I think even as early as a month ago when Mike Rizzo on 106.7 said we're not trading Juan Soto, they were pretty confident that they were going to be able to reach an extension. But it has become increasingly evident that that number is going to have to be much higher. We're not talking about 10 or 20 million higher. We're talking much, much higher than that for him to agree to a deal. And so I think if you're the Nationals, Watching the way the Bryce Harper thing played out, how can you afford to not explore trade options for him? How can you afford to not take a farm system that is still ranked very low in Major League Baseball and have an opportunity to replenish that? Because the alternative is Juan Soto walks in two and a half years and we watch the team kind of meander through like we're watching them this year, and then you get nothing. Yeah, I think that's the dilemma. And and here's what I think, Britt. And again, I, I just I want your opinion on this as, as someone who's so close to it. I think the learners are suffering from the sins of the past. And what I mean is, if if like if this is the Yankees and they lose Aaron Judge, Yankee fans, I mean, they might be irrational. Benny from the Bronx might call and scream. But for the most part, you're going, yeah, we'll probably be really good still. We're going to go get somebody else. The Nationals have basically hand-delivered a, no, we're not going to pay this guy, but we'll pay the next guy. Well, we'll pay the next guy. We'll pay the next guy. And now there aren't any more guys coming. And it's this is the best one of the ball. And you're going to lose him. And I think I think it's more that than it is maybe this specific situation. Your thoughts? No, yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think you know the learners probably thought in getting this out there that our fans will understand. But I think they also maybe didn't realize how upset this fan base is over losing, as you said, star after star already after DC out of DC. So mm-hmm. it's kind of built up. And you know I do think if they don't sign Aaron Judge in New York, people will be very upset. But guess what? If they don't sign Aaron Judge, they could probably pay Juan Soto, right? There's very few markets that are going to be in on a Juan Soto, and I think that the Yankees and Mets are certainly two of those in that big New York market. But, yeah, it's it's a tired act for Nationals fans, and, and I do empathize with you know people who have followed this team, people who never really got to celebrate after they won in 2019 and have just watched star after star either leave of their own volition or be traded away. Let's not forget that, you know, last year's trade deadline – while you could argue that it was necessary, it was a gut punch to a lot of people, especially losing Trey Turner, who was not a free agent to be. I think a lot of people understood, you know, trading Max Scherzer, but people kind of scratched their heads at at Trey Turner, and I know that Grant was one of them who was was pretty upset about that trade, and I get it. You know, a lot of people don't think they got full value. So now on the flip side is, can they actually get full value for a Juan Soto in a trade? Britt Trulia of The Athletic with us here on G&D. And that's my follow-up question here, Britt. What is fair value? I, I I think you put this in your column, although I've read so much the last couple of days, my eyes are bleeding basically just, just on this topic. But So I apologize if this wasn't you. But there's no way to win this deal if you're the Nationals. There's no way to get value. There's no way to get one for one. You just do the best you can and maybe close your eyes and hope. I think you referenced the Miguel Cabrera deal years ago that looked at the time like pretty good. And, of course, in retrospect, we know it wasn't. 
what would a package look like, and is there any way for the Nationals to come out uh, ahead? Yeah, you're right. I did say they can't win because there is no win. There we go. Especially if they trade them at the trade deadline, which I don't think is going to happen, Danny. I think it's too much to try to squeeze in a franchise-altering trade in the next two weeks. I think letting teams know he's available sends the sign to Soto's camp that, one, we're done with you. We're frustrated. We don't care if people know. We want them to know you turned down the ceiling. Two, I think it was a little early ringing the alarms for every other team, you know, not just the ones in the pennant race, because I would be surprised if they were able to find a deal that was even close in value to a Juan Soto. Um, you know, the Athletic did an exercise with 10 teams where they had potential deals, and all of them were laughable. I mean, they weren't even close to a Juan Soto value. So I think you're probably waiting until this winter, and even then it's going to be very tough to get something that is going to say, yeah, that was worth trading a, a generational baseball player who just finished his age 23 season. You know, I think you have to look at it as, all right, you know, do they wait till this winter? Do they wait till next trade deadline? Do they wait till a new ownership group is in place? And then really look at this thing you know, a little a little closer and say, okay, we can maybe get enough value back of Juan Soto now that he's under two years. But I think it's almost impossible to get anything resembling a value of Juan Soto right now at this trade deadline. It would require not only prospects, but just big league-ready player guys. Mm-hmm. It would require teams to just empty their farm systems. And even then, people would be like, well, the Nats didn't win this trade, which is just how absurd all of this is. Yeah, so Britt, you mentioned new ownership. And I think that's the, that's the catalyst here. I think that's the... The accelerant. To me, I think you know you could keep this negotiation going. You could go back and forth. You could have a conversation. But I think they want new ownership in place by these owners' meetings in November. A lofty goal, potentially. But I think that's what everybody sorts to want. I think learners want out and how. I think they've popped smoke and, and are you know pulling the ripcord. They want off. So I think that was kind of part of this and why this, this may get going pretty quickly. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's a huge part of this. It's the elephant in the room. And I think it's twofold, really. I think the learners want to kind of solidify their quote-unquote legacy by saying, hey, we're the ones who signed Juan Soto. We kept him here. We won a World Series, and we kept Juan Soto here. I mean, that's a hell of a legacy for an ownership group to pass on. It's also you know, something that's going to make buyers, it's going to make the price better. It's going to make buyers say, oh, we've already got a generational talent locked up, right? So it certainly helps in that regard. I don't think just throw $500 million, $600 million at this guy. It's not their money anyway. But it's a fine line, right? You yep. want a new ownership group to come in and say, hey, we have Juan Soto locked up. You don't want a new ownership group to come in and say, oh, my God, we're paying this guy $50 million a year for the next 12, 15 years. How are we going to field a team? Right? So I think it really is going to depend on who this new ownership group is. And, you know, I said it this morning, and I'll say it again. I think – it sounds crazy, but honestly, the best-case scenario is that this group decides to trade him, and then a group comes in that is like, let's go win back Juan Soto in free agency, and you've replenished your, your farm system, and all it takes is money, a lot of money, mind you, but yeah. money, a Steve Cohen type of owner, to bring back a Juan Soto, and he doesn't have these feelings of resentment because it's a new ownership group. I think a lot of what's happened now is this relationship is very fractured. He was very upset it leaked out. So it's kind of the pie-in-the-sky pipe dream, but the best-case scenario is trading him before the learners leave and having a new owner who says, wait a minute, bring my star back, I'll pay whatever. And then you're looking at a national team that you know, maybe is on the fast track to success. That I love that pie-in-the-sky scenario, by the way, and it's going to what I'm going to tell myself when I, my head hits the pillow tonight so that I can fall asleep. Rich Rowley, the athletic with us here on, on G&D. So to your point, though, about, about having a star and still building a team, what is an appropriate walk-away point, right? I, so I think for this ownership group, it was $440 million, but there's not a great precedent for paying one star and then winning an awful lot. Now, just because just it hasn't happened doesn't mean it can't, but kind of my, my point that I've made here for the first hour plus of the show is nobody has been better in the month of July than Juan Soto, hitting 410, getting on base at a 567 clip. His slugging percentage is 864 with a 1.43 OPS, six homers. He's been unbelievable. The Nats are 2-14 and 14 in July. One player can't do it all. That's just not how this game is. This isn't basketball. This isn't you know a, a quarterback in, in sports. The Nationals have holes. You've already mentioned the farm system. At the big league level, 
They did improvements at, at, at probably six uh, position players. They need three or four top-line pitchers to start getting back to being able to compete just in this division because the Braves have their act together. The Mets are, are going to be good. You mentioned Steve Cohen already. I think the Phillies will never, never stop trying. They may have like 27 sluggers at one point uh, that they're going to pay an outrageous amount of money to. But the division isn't going anywhere. This is an uphill climb to kind of get back to your, your same position. One player isn't going to do it. What is an appropriate walkaway point for this organization or for any? Right. That's why I think, you know, it's, if you could sign him for 475 or if they thought they were close, right, yep. at all with this 440 figure, but I had somebody tell me that they were over $100 million away. Whoa. So, again, right, isn't that a walk away? Because as I wrote in my column, you're seeing a team with just Juan Soto and nothing else. It's not fun. There is nothing fun about watching this team. And when you look at attendance and you will look at what really drives attendance, it's winning. It's not stars. And anyone who's been in that park this year can tell you attendance is down. People aren't just going to pay to see Juan Soto. They may if they're out of town, but national fans want winning. Fan bases want winning. That is the real driver of ticket sales, the real driver of revenue. And you have to be careful saddling yourselves in a position where all we can do is have Juan Soto and maybe one other player. I mean, the Angels have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, two generational stars, and they're still terrible. So I think you do have to be careful. And it's funny, I was talking to B. Mitch and Finley earlier today, and B. Mitch was like, well, all players care about is, you know, the AAV, and you you got to keep your stars. And yes, in basketball, yes, in football, in baseball, lots of times these big, big deals don't translate into the team winning. In fact, they translate into crippling the franchise for the near future. So... I'm not saying that Juan Soto isn't worth more than 440. I'm not saying that it's, he needs to go. I would love for him to stay in a Nats uniform. I think the fan base deserves for him to stay in the uniform for the next decade plus. I'm just wondering what are the long-term ramifications of signing Juan Soto to a half a billion dollar deal? Britt, let's jump into a little bit what you mentioned about a fracturing here. Um, I, that's something that I, I hadn't really thought of. I thought of this as kind of a good-natured thing. You know, we everybody loves each other. We're offering you a huge amount of money because we think you're great. I'm not going to take it because I know I'm great, but thanks. Everybody's sort of happy. I hadn't considered the possibility, and it's obvious now that you mentioned it, that at the ownership level, there may be a, kind of a divide now between Soto and his camp and, uh, and, and, and the learners or, and, you know, kind of the front office, et cetera, over this. I'd love for you to expound on that. Yeah, it just, you know, we heard for years about this special relationship, right, between Boris and the learners. And, you know, obviously, as David Aldridge wrote today in The Athletic, but that means nothing. It comes down to money. And I think that Boris and Soto were upset that the number leaked. And so that certainly isn't helping. And the only reason the number leaked, which was clearly on the national side, is because they want people to know that they tried, which signals that they are done trying, right? If they had a $500 million offer in hand, if they were like, you know, we can go up to 500. They wouldn't be leaking 440, right? So it just shows you that they are probably done. Maybe they come up a little bit, but this is about it here. They want people to know Juan Soto turned down more money than Mike Trout is going to make over his contract, right? And Scott Boris and Juan Soto want you to know that his AAV's average annual value is only 19th in all of baseball. So you're seeing these things leak out, and you're seeing these opposing sides of this. Oh, the learners tried versus, oh, Soto got lowballed. And I just think that it certainly doesn't make its way into good negotiations. I mean, there's nothing to suggest the Nationals are going to make another offer. And so I do think that this relationship is a little bit fractured now. I do think Soto was very hurt that this leaked out. And as you said, the learners have one foot out the door, so they don't really need to sit there and play nice with Scott Boris for much longer. So I think having that new ownership group in place is going to kind of give you that fresh slate a little bit because it just doesn't seem – like, there's any kind of forward momentum at all. In fact, you know, I think the Nationals, the reason they have the old for sale sign in front of Soto is because they're frustrated, and they thought that they had a chance of signing him. So these have kind of reached really a peak, and there's nowhere else to go from here but to pivot toward trading him. Uh, it's, it's, listen, for, from Soto's perspective, because it wasn't his fault that this happened, but it's tough for me to kind of accept uh, any lament from Boris and company about offers leaking out. You know what I mean? Like the, that he they went on the Bryce Harper victory tour once they had a three hundred million dollar offer in hand, and then then of course Bryce went and told everybody that well it was deferred money. What does that do for my family? You know, as uh, as as so that whole set of negotiations went. But I digress. Ultimately, Britt, what's the timeline here? Where do you think this goes? You mentioned it, it'll be tough 
this this season. You make a good case for that. Next year trade deadline, like, can we go into spring training with this kind of hanging over everybody's head? Just what do you think the timeline ultimately is for the Nationals, uh, Soto, and and you know the the, the highest bidder? You you could go into spring training. I would hope by next spring they would have a little more more clarity, um, especially at the ownership level, right? I would hope that they would have something in place and know one way or the other. I think the learners want this done because it's such a huge component of selling the team, right? Do you have Juan Soto locked up or do you not? Is Juan Soto on your team or is he not? So I think that this probably is something that needs to get resolved, if not in weeks or so, then this offseason. Um, I have a hard time believing next July we're still talking about mm-hmm. what should they do with Juan Soto. I think you have to, at that point, make some kind of decision. But again, there's no, you have him for two and a half years. There's no huge deadline. Maybe you get an ownership group that says, you know what, you tried. You know, we're fine if you want to keep him. Now we're going to take our best swing. You know, that could happen as well. I think it's so tough to predict what's going to happen, Danny, because we don't know who's running this team, which adds such an extra element, really an unprecedented element. Um, When you look around the sport, how many teams have ever tried to negotiate with an ownership group that may not be here in a few months? with a generational star. It just adds so much uncertainty to all this that it's very tough to come up with a timeline. But I think a perfect world scenario is this offseason. You figure something out. Mike Rizzo only has one more year. Davey Martinez only has one more year. Um, You know, you kind of give them a chance. You give Rizzo in particular an opportunity to really kind of move this rebuild along if you say, hey, trade Juan Soto now. Rip, you're the best. Busy day for you, I know. I appreciate you carving out some time for us. Really informative. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Have a great rest of your day. Long gone. Thank you again to Britt Ciroli of The Athletic. She joined the Grant and Danny Show, which you can listen to 2 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. Monday through Friday on 106.7 The Fan or anywhere in the world with the Odyssey app. So kind of final thoughts here, uh, Darius. This is sort of the Juan Soto episode. This is all about Soto here. It's, it's early in the process. Prediction. Where does this go? Here are some of your choices, but you can make up your own. This is a choose-your-own-adventure. All right. Does he get traded this year? Next year? Not at all? And he resigns here? Some of your options. What do you think the most likely outcome is? I, I don't think it's this year because I do think, kind of like John Heyman has said multiple times, that this is on the level of a Kevin Durant trade uh, in, in the NBA. We've been comparing to the NBA a couple times here on this episode. Where I, I don't think teams are going to have enough time before – the uh, the first week of August deadline to put together the kind of package that it's going to take to please this uh, this franchise in trading away Juan Soto. So I don't think it'll happen this year. I <laughs> I want to have a little bit of faith in me that this at least goes through next year, and that there's a chance that there's at least another offer or two available to where maybe we can bring Juan Soto in. I, my concern is that this drags all the way up until free agency and we don't get a trade done. That's my biggest concern. That would be the ultimate doomsday scenario. Um, but I, definitely I don't think anything happens the rest of this baseball season. No. I think it's going to be something that happens next season before, uh, to, to ultimately finish this up. This might be a bit of a hot one. Uh-oh. This might be like that YouTube show where people eat hot wings. They call it hot ones. I just discovered that, by the way. Have you ever seen that show? Yeah, yeah. You, you're just now getting into that? Yeah. So uh, some young people told me about it, and I was like, that doesn't sound very interesting at all. <laughs> and it came up on like a YouTube. I was looking up something else, and like like all of a sudden, it's like Ricky Gervais was eating wings. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. I clicked on it. I was like, that's actually kind of entertaining. Hot ones. Anyway. How many episodes did you watch? One. Just the one. Just, oh, the, one just Ricky the one Ricky Gervais. Yeah. See, how do you do that? Because it's one of those shows where once you've watched one... Then you just you see all the, you see the feed that has all yeah. the different people and you're like oh I like that person I'll watch them eat hot wings and I talk just about sort of stuff. felt like I was good like I got it it was like the, the wings are spicy you guys like they get spicier as they go and that's the show anyway uh, this might be a little bit of a hot take here I think the trade happens this year oh man I think it happens this year mostly because this ownership thing is an accelerant yeah. right so you've got a fire raging. And I think this is the gasoline on that fire. And by this year, are you saying this the, the first week of August trade deadline? Yeah, I think within three weeks, <laughs> this goes down. Now, as I said, it might be a bit of a hot one because that's difficult. I don't know what kind of package would, would work. I don't know what would satisfy. I think there's a need for a decision to be made that's rushing this along. 
because of a new ownership group. So again, if I'm if I'm billionaire Billy rolling in here going, "Who's here? And you don't understand what I'm purchasing with these nationals here. What sort of assets do we have? What sort of depreciating costs and whatnot? What's what's on the horizon?" That's my rich guy voice. And so I'm looking, and I go, "I need to know about this guy. I need to know if I'm buying something that I can market, or I need to know if I'm buying something that I can use. I need to know if I'm." You know, uh, looking at seven prospects that are going to make the major leagues and I can be good in two years. I need to, uh, do I have to pay Patrick Corbin? I need to know. I need to know what Steven Strasburg's deal is. I need to know if, if, if I'm going to get insurance to cover the, the, the cash losses or if I'm just going to carry this dude's 30 some million on my payroll for the next five seasons. I need to know all of those things if I'm going to buy this club. And I think that's going to be the accelerant. I think that's going to be the, 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 uh, I need a better word besides accelerant. That's going to be the catalyst. Aha! Ah, there we go. There Aha, it is. I'm a wordsmith. That's going to be the catalyst that makes this thing happen. And I think there are a handful of teams that could do it. And I think they're going to, I think it's going to be like one of those. We've done a lot of NBA comps uh, in this episode. It's going to be like one of those. It's going to remind me of the Kawhi Leonard deal. Mm-hmm. Remember, or, or, or somebody like that, where you trade for a guy and you, you spend the whole time whining him and dining him. You trade for the guy in the hopes, like, eh, well, why don't you stay here for true? We could, we could win a couple championships, and we'll name a, we'll name a street after you. Like that sort of vibe, where he might go to Seattle. They have prospects that could do this. He might go to, uh, to San Francisco, to L.A., to the Yankees. Heck, I mean, if you want to really open it up, the Braves could do it. Who knows if they'd want to? I, I mentioned the Cardinals. They don't usually do this, but they could. The Mets could do this. And and if you're the Nationals, I put pride aside. I don't care who I have to deal with. I'll deal with anybody when it comes to this. You, you who can, whoever can give me the best haul, they're getting him. If if I'm going to go ahead and go with the trade, because again, I'm I'm concerned about more than r- petty rivalries. I'm concerned about the billionaire C-suite, right? And I think that's what's going to end up happening here. Danny, yep. Which team would it hurt you the most to see him in a uniform in in our division? Because obviously the Yankees would be the number one answer, but in, within our division, who would it, who would hurt you the most? Mets. Really? Yeah, I just I, I I didn't want to think about it. I just answered, it's the Mets. Because well, I puked when you said Braves. That that was the first one. That's I mean they're all pukey. <laughs> they're they're all very pukey. The whole thing is pukey. It that's is. It's just a repulsive to think about. Th- him I mean that, that sucks. You, what, what, what if he's what if he's playing left field for the Phillies? Oh God! <laughs> Opposite Bryce Harper. You cool with that? No. If he's in the Bra- him and Acuna in the outfield for the Braves, I'm sure that's fair. Like the first time I see him. Soto shuffle in another uniform. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. Just consider me out on everything. I don't. Yeah, just, I don't anything. Like all, all <laughs> things. Dunzo. Uh, appreciate you guys checking out Bustin' Loose Baseball. This has been the Juan Soto episode for Darius. GP will be back later this week. I'm Danny Ruye. Keep checking us out wherever you can get your podcast: Spotify, Apple Pods, Odyssey app, the whole nine yards. Rate, review, subscribe. We need your assistance. Keep tweeting me at Funny Danny. Things that you like us to talk about. But today it was all about Juan Soto. Until the Nationals play again. And by the way, just as a quick side note, little editorial. I'm getting the like, hey, watch the Home Run Derby and win tickets in this Juan Soto bobblehead. It's like business as usual. I understand they're doing their jobs. It's still weird because I know the thing. Okay? That's all. I'm not mad at anybody. The whole thing is weird. Appreciate you guys checking out the show. We'll be back later on this week. Until then, go Nets.